Good morning. I kind of want to talk about Roman all this morning. Uh, my first time grandpa this week, and uh, so thankful for that. We, um, th- the message this morning is one that it's easy to maybe bypass. And I'm hoping that each of us actually stop and really consider um, what sin in my life am I okay with that could lead to disaster. And uh, the, the story of David and Bathsheba is really um, probably second to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And we're going to be walking through this. I don't have the fun part of Psalm 51 where David, we get an insight into, into what he was thinking during the time here. We're going to stick to the passage as best we can um, here in, in 2 Samuel 11 and in the beginning of 12. And the other kind of thought of, of a passage like this might be, well, I've never killed anyone and I've maybe haven't committed adultery, um, so I'll just kind of take a pass and listen. Or um, maybe sometimes I know as a kid I would think, man, I hope my sister Mindy's listening or whatever. Um, I was talking with some brothers this morning and just said, you know, this morning's message is, is kind of a little punchy. Um, and I don't mean to get punchy this morning, but really want to ask us to stop and consider um, what sin is in our lives that we're okay with, and how do we stop that? And uh, David, his family paid horrific price because he lived a life that was out of control. So let's just open in prayer, and uh, we'll get going. Father, thank you for just recording all parts of those in the Bible. Um, I know each of us would say thank you that you didn't write a book or chapters on our lives sometimes. Lord, as we examine David, a man after your own heart, we know that he is not perfect. We also know that you are a God that's holy, holy, holy. Help us to not walk out of here okay with sin. Help us to not walk out of here. Maybe some have never come to a place where they've confessed that Jesus is Lord, and that's the place to start. Because left to ourselves, we can do nothing about this sin that is our problem. Thank you that you don't just leave us to see how we do, that you come to our aid and that you save us. Lord, those of us that know you as Lord and Savior, that our eternity is secure because of our belief in Christ, as we continue to walk here on earth, help us to be purposeful in allowing you to just get in every nook and cranny of our lives and help us to surrender to you more and more each day. Lord, uh, we don't come here to say, oh, shame on David, shame on Bathsheba. We come this morning and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. And we acknowledge our dependence on you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll kind of get, uh, sorry, I'm going to have to turn around and look because I don't have the thing in the back. Um, David's life. Just to catch you up, he was youngest of eight sons. He killed a lion and a bear. He was a, when he was a teenager, I just was reading last night about Samuel coming and anointing him. And yes, he was good looking and he must have been quite the athlete to have been able to navigate a lion and a bear. But David trusted in God. He killed Goliath and played music for the king and married King Saul's son and became best friends with King Saul's son and Jonathan. 
you know, things were going great for him. And then he was hunted for 10 years by Saul. And then he became king at 30. Who in here is within a couple years of 30? Yeah. Thanks, Wiedenbacher. He saw success. So 20 years, we're going to kind of get a jump into his life 20 years-ish later. The kingdom on, on the left over here, or your right, was expanded in every direction. He and Saul combined over that 20-year period after he was made king, actually saw much success. God blessed his walk, blessed the things that he was a part of and the, the pieces that were there. And, the, and this is, we're dropping in on, on his life in his early 50s. I'm 53, so probably about my age. And great things had happened in his life. Great things had happened that he'd seen God move and work. And then what happened? He feared God. He was a good king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a warrior and a conquered almost all of his neighboring enemies. So he built himself a nice house and wanted to build a house for God. And we heard last week how God said, hey, I didn't ask you to build me a house. I don't want that. David's kingdom was established and blessed by God. But David had started to multiply wives as he moved to Jerusalem. He had eight wives and ten concubines. 2 Samuel 5 talks about that David knew the Lord had established his kingdom. And then it says, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. This is in direct disobedience to God's instruction for kings. He had three things. Don't multiply horses. Don't go back to Egypt and get safety in horses. I'm your, I'm your defender. Don't multiply wives because they'll lead your heart away from me. And don't increase gold and silver for yourself. You'll start to trust on that instead of trusting in me. And David was pretty good with the multiply horses. He had a standing army that was vicious and was capable, but he was to do that. That was his job. But the multiply wives, he missed. One poor choice leads to other poor choices. And part of as you as the theme this morning is you if you would hear what has been kind of pounded into me is what sin in my life am I okay with that could lead to disaster? Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's not a, a sin that would be in the Ten Commandments necessarily. Maybe it's a willfulness not to be in God's word on a regular basis. Whatever it might be. Maybe it's not being tender with your wife. Whatever the whatever the peace in, in sin might be in each of our lives that we all struggle with, may we not be okay with that. And we get this pivotal verse here in the first, first verse. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, you'd think David would be there. Nope. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David's not where he's supposed to be. He had it all, money, power, fame. He wanted to enjoy his success by taking it easy and was not in the battle. He was maybe retired, but he was vulnerable and unaccountable. Verse 2, it happened late, in the, late one afternoon. David arose from his couch, was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful. 
What did you do yesterday afternoon? Oops. Yeah. What did you do yesterday afternoon or the afternoon before that? Hopefully you weren't just laying around. It's what David was doing. When we're idle, trouble knocks on our door. We've got the opportunity to be busy about Christ. We talked about Jesus' coming this morning and breaking your bread. Is he going to find me on my couch or is he going to find me loving and serving him? David's on his couch in the afternoon. And what happens? He's in trouble. David saw, lusted. The woman was very beautiful, attractive. And he took her. It's interesting, that's the same progression that Eve had. Saw the fruit, standing where she shouldn't have been, right? A whole Garden of Eden, and she's standing next to the one place she's not supposed to be listening to a snake feeding her lies. She saw it. There's delight to the eyes, and she took of the fruit and ate it. And then Adam, standing next to her, willingly did, took it. Verses three and four. A life out of control. I want it, I'll have it. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, then she returned to her house. I don't know what the actual construction here is. You've got the king on the second floor, overlooking his neighborhood. Bathsheba was one of David's 30 mighty men's wives. They'd probably seen each other before. They'd probably been at parties before. They'd probably, can't imagine that they'd never met, right? They lived close, their neighbors close enough that David could literally look from his second story and see her Coveting his neighbor's wife. David's warned. Think of being the servant. Hey, that's Uriah's wife. Oh, that was probably the response he thought he'd get. Oh, okay. But instead, he presses on. He's out of control and proceeds to commit adultery. Be sure your sins will find you out. We're only in verse 5. We've got a chapter and a half. <laughs> be sure your sins will find you out each of us have things in our lives that we're kind of quiet with that we lay off to the side it's a monster waiting to spring on us let's kill it while it's small David didn't and the woman conceived and she sent and told David I am pregnant think of all the chain of people that had to be informed the people in her house the people in David's house, all the people that are involved in this mess. David thought he would, this would be one-time sin and no one would know about it. Everyone knew about it. David finds out he has a problem. Bathsheba is pregnant. And now, what am I going to do? Verses 6 and 8. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing, 
how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. I know, I've got a plan. Where is God in these verses? He's not there. Again, David is stopping and thinking, hey, I got a good plan. Some of us are really good at making plans. Hey, I know, let's do this. I struggle with that. We need to stop and ask God, but David can't stop and ask God because he doesn't have God in the middle of this situation. He's just handling it himself. Unrepentant sin leads to more sin. Interestingly enough, I just wonder, Bathsheba played along too and didn't tell her husband. David's plan does not work. If you can't read this, sorry, it's so small, but if you've got your Bibles, we're in 2 Samuel 11. But Uriah slept at the door in the king's house and with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. David's plan didn't work. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, why do you think they told him that? Because David's got his helpers watching. All the mess of the cover-up is, is trying to be orchestrated. And God's watching from afar going, David, what are you doing? David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and his servants of my Lord are camping in open field. Shall I go down to my house, eat and drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will, do, I will not do this thing. Uriah is a stand-up dude. He has no idea what's going on. Then David said to Uriah, remain here also, today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that next day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of, the, of the, his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Even drunk Uriah didn't compromise his morals. David was counting on this. He thought, you know what, There's, I know what I can do. We'll try one more thing. David still is not giving up on his plan, but it's not working. So what does David do? Uriah is the problem. Not me, not the baby coming. Uriah is the problem. Let's get him off the, off the board. Verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the front of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Pretty clear that David was saying, Joab, make sure Uriah dies in the next fight. It wasn't just an accident. This was premeditated murder. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of his servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Now Joab's involved. Joab, a man that himself was a conniver, right? And later in David's life, now he's got blackmail material on the king. Hey, he told me to kill him. 
David's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And where is God? Instead of repenting and confessing his sin, David plans Uriah's death and murder. Verse 18, Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed, who killed Abimelech, the son of Jay there? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you'll say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is, also, is dead also. Joab willing, com, willingly complies with the king's orders. There wasn't a messenger back going, hey David, I, did I get this right? One of your top 30 guys, you want me to make sure he doesn't come back? David is an absolute authority and king. There's no sense of remorse from Joab. He just, life is cheap. Life is cheap to both David and Joab. Verse 22, so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you. The sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. David's thinking, hey, this is starting to look up. I'm going to get away with this. Nobody has to know. Again, he's not thinking, God's the one watching. He's worried about those around him instead of worried about the one that knows all, the, the true absolute authority. Now David and Joab know what's happened. An innocent man was murdered in battle. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to this house she became his wife and bore him a son. And now we're 27 verses in, and what's it say next? But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord, but it didn't hit David yet what he was doing. He was down in the hole so far. So far. David marries Bathsheba. How long does a baby take to be born? Nine months? Everyone knew something's up here. David thought he fooled everyone and took care of this unfortunate problem. God was watching and was displeased. God is always watching. When I make poor choices, I forget that God is right next to me. God's Holy Spirit, for those of us that have trusted Christ, lives inside of us. We're dragging him around throughout our day, throughout our night. There is no time when I'm all alone. God is always with me. I do not have to sin. Satan can't pick me off. But I can push him away, and David did that. Time passes, the baby is born, and David acts like nothing's happened. But he's living a lie. 
2 Samuel 12. Now the story takes a twist. We closed this last section with David goes apart on his own merry way and then God is not pleased. 2 Samuel 12, 1-6. It's pretty interesting how God uses Nathan here. Right? Goes and tells the king a story. I wonder what Nathan thought as God gave him this assignment. Hey, I want you to go talk to David. Here's what he's done. Maybe David knew. I can't imagine that this was all kind of done under the rug, right? David thought, well, I wonder if, or Nathan thought, I wonder if David's going to listen to me. What if he gets mad? Has me hauled off. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man is David, the poor man is Uriah. The rich man had many flocks and herds. Rich man had eight wives and ten concubines. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He had brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. That's Bathsheba and Uriah. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David has no idea Nathan is talking about him. It's plain as day in an objective situation, David, even in his denial state, could still see what right and wrong is. A lot of times it's easy for us to see sin in other people's lives and see it clearly, but we miss our own. It's been an interesting, hard passage to prepare because I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks. I'm just springing on it on you this morning. God's been working on me. Verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, The man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no sense of pity. David actually, unknowingly, gives his own punishment sentence. Deserves to die. Then it turns. You gotta remember, David's in his throne room, Nathan's an invited guest, and Nathan's standing there telling him a story. And then this kind of phrase that's short, and we think, oh, it must have been easy to do. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. If this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Now he gets specific. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Wow. 
five-minute conversation, another three minutes, and David's sin that's been going on over a year completely exposed. wonder if Nathan said, hey, let's let all the servants out of here. Maybe it was just David and Nathan on the porch, we aren't told. Or was this in his throne room and... Or was David laying around on his couch? I don't know. I bet he sat up after this. Deuteronomy 22, 22 and 24. Adultery is punishable by death. Verse 22 of Deuteronomy 22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman, the woman, and the woman... You shall purge the evil from Israel. Verse 23, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city, lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. Why? The young woman, because she did not cry out for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. You shall purge the evil from your, minds, from your midst. There's no sacrifice. You go through all the sacrifices given to Moses. There's not a sacrifice for deliberate, willful sin. Adultery and murder is not, hey, it's 18 cows. David knew this. He forgot it, but he knew this. Bathsheba would have known this most likely as well. I don't know if she went quietly, willingly. I don't know if her and Uriah's marriage was good or bad or we're not told. So we won't end no conjecture there. But she didn't cry out. It's all David's fault. It's not her fault, but David's judgment, verse eleven. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. There's no such thing as private sin. There's no such thing as private sin. We all have phones, we all have computers. There's junk there, there's good things there. We do, what we do in secret, our kids will do in public. Be careful, mom and dad. Be careful. David's son violates his concubines in public just as God foretold. We'll see that later in David's life. How did David respond? I love it that there is no, yeah, but. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, when we're caught in a sin, sometimes it's just relief to admit it. If you're in bondage to a sin this morning, cry out to God and say, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a, not a loving spirit. Maybe it's not being gracious. What is it in God's word that do I know? It's not just the things that I do that are sin, it's the good that I know to do that sin is, and I don't do it, that's sin as well. David confesses his sin. When we sin, 
we sin against God. When we sin, we harm those God created and loves. And under the law, there's no sacrifice that could help David out. David was condemned to death. God's grace is only accessed when we confess our sin. Nathan said to David, verse 13, The Lord shall put away your sin, you shall not die. I bet David was happy about that. We're going to talk about the parallel here with Christ in a moment. But the opportunity for us to not die for our sins should give us a sigh of relief as well. It should also cause us to say thank you and to live a life that's different. The consequences of sin are painful, but the child dies. The second innocent bystander dies. Uriah, now the child. I tried to group these. There's just a lot of life lessons. I just encourage you, maybe take one or two of these. There's a whole, going to be a whole list. Um, you know, as I said, the opportunity for us to walk out and say, well, I've not done this or I haven't done that. Man, David's really bad dude. Let's examine ourselves this morning. Lord, what is it in my life that I've said is okay or that I'm just leaving under the rug that could rise up and destroy my life? Help me see it. And maybe even pray for Nathan in your life. Willful disobedience is scorning God. When we willfully disobey God's commands, God is always watching. Where did your kids go to do things they weren't supposed to do? In the basement under the stairs? God's there. Out in the backyard? God's there. At the neighbors? God's there. David forgot that God was right there. Not to send a lightning bolt, but to help him out. Keep him from the pain that sin causes, the destruction that follows when we have a life that is unexamined. God does not always stop us right away from sinning. You know, David thought for over a year that, well, I guess the worst is gone. I got away with it. Romans 1, sometimes God's judgment on our sin is allowing us to sin more. David could have said, God, why didn't you stop me before I had Uriah killed? Right? When we're in sin, how often do we blame God for things that aren't his fault? Well, if she wouldn't have been out there on the ledge next to my house, it's her fault. God's watching and hoping that we'll stop and say, Lord, I've sinned against you and against you only. When we ignore God's commands, we're guilty of scorning him. And scorning is feeling that someone or something is not worthy of any respect. Open dislike or disrespect or mockery often worked with in, mixed with indignation. You know, I don't like to think that this is true of me, but when I willfully sin, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, you know what? I don't care. It's disrespect. It's indignation. 
the creator of the universe that loves me and I still sin. Leisure, we're coming up on summer. What are you going to do with your time? What am I going to do with my time? I think Antonio studied all day Saturday last yesterday because he's working toward the end of school year. What are you going to do with your time this summer? Right? Some of us have a different schedule. You don't have to show up at work tomorrow. Good for you. Maybe. Maybe not. David had had lots of major successes. Life was going great. And he let his guard down. Life of leisure is not good for us. David was in bed and not in the battle. When we're not busy doing what we should be doing, we're vulnerable to Satan's attack. What areas am I vulnerable to Satan's attack and how do I flee? Or maybe I just need to get busy. I don't know what, your, what the best answer is for each of us. It's different for each one. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've got to do something with the 24 hours we've been given every day. Do I submit it to Christ, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or do I just spend it on myself, piling it up here? Whatever it might be. Our culture is rabid against living lives sold out for Christ. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man or woman, boy or girl sows, that you also reap. If we sow the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we sow the spirit, wow, what does God have for us? We just got through planting season. What are we planting? I think I'm pretty sure I planted corn, but I'm not going to know until it really comes up. Neil was confident. I think I did. Neil knows he planted corn. What are you planting? What am I planting in my life? Because that's what's going to come up. Yeah, the weeds are going to try. The life's going to attack us. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy from there on out. But God wants, it, wants fruit from our lives. He wants and deserves more than us just not sinning. He wants us to live for him. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Overcome evil with good. Our sex-crazed crazed culture is such a mess. It's such a mess. Lust is rampant. Lust is selfish. It blinds us to reality. David thought no one would ever know about his adultery. Really? He sent somebody to go get her. He, she came like, what? When we are blinded by our drive to, I want it, I will have it, we forget that God's watching and we also forget that God is not mocked. Lust starts in, flirt, in a flirtatious mind. David probably met Bathsheba before his encounter. She was very beautiful. It's only said of a few ladies in scripture. But the problem is lust is never satisfied. Covetousness is never satisfied. I want that for me. What is it in your life that you want more than anything? What is it in my life that I want more than anything? 
Is it truly going to satisfy? I'll be happy when, or won't it be great when, or... We believe the lies of Satan because the world is feeding it to us day by day by day. If I just had a little more, if I just, whatever, if I just... It starts in the mind and then before long we act on it. And then we're really in trouble. Bathsheba's immodesty did not help. Ladies, just encourage you, consider your brothers in Christ. Help them out in this area. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom, God, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, we're supposed to stand strong in a lot of areas. This is one area, young, old, flee. David should have gotten off the top and said, you know what, I need to go play the harp or something. Get back in the battle. But get out of where you're tempted. Get out of where I'm tempted. I've got a little stupid game right now that it's like blocks and you try and get them all to go away. My wife gave it to me. There's like a daily challenge. I'm really good at it. Time waster. No eternal fruit. And you wouldn't even be impressed if you saw my track record all the way back to September. What is it in our lives that we just put up with and say, oh, it's okay? Lust is one of those things we're to run from as if our life depended on it because it really does. Matthew 27, 527 says, maybe you're sitting there going, well, I've not done that. You've heard it said, this is Jesus. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's true for you too, ladies. It's not just guys. Lust in the mind is adultery. The consequences may be different, but the sin, but sin is sin. The control of sin in our, over us in our lives. When we have sin that controls us, when we have sin that we can't get free from because we've not confronted that, what does it say here? Everyone looks at a woman with lustful intent and has committed adultery in his heart. There's no sacrifice for that sin except for Christ. These sins are deserving of death in the Old Testament. We need to take them seriously. There's no such thing as a secret sin. God always sees. Some of you maybe have heard about Prager U and the Jewish man that said, well, pornography is okay. At least you're not hurting anyone. Here's a guy that has pretty logical, a lot of things, and I've seen some of his comments along the way, and he is totally wrong in this area. Pornography is sin and causes us to believe Satan's lies. I can be happy, I can be fulfilled, I can whatever, and I won't hurt anyone. Nobody will know. God's watching. God's watching. There's help there. There's forgiveness. 
If you're struggling with that this morning, I would just plead with you, get free of sin in your life. Get free of bondage that so easily entangles us. Let go of it. Take it to God and cry out. He's with us always. We don't have to sin. God's always with us and wants to help us flee temptation. James 1, 13 and 14. So let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted and when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin was fully grown brings forth death. That's what exactly happened in David's life. Desire, uncontrolled, unsubmitted to God, grows and grows, and then ends up, actually two people died physically, but God's glory was inhibited. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Therefore, let anyone who, anyone who th- thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Why do you think two elders come to mi- visit when someone's entangled in a sin? Because we need each other in all circumstances. You might say, hey, I'm doing pretty good right now. Watch out. God's there. Keep him closer than sin. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. David may have thought, well, how am I supposed to say no to this? Yep. You might think, well, I'm in a unique situation. I'm the only one with the, whatever the problems of life, whatever the excuses, whatever the things that allow you to justify sin in, in our minds. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What's, what is the next part? This is good news. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. With a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We don't have to sin anymore. Those of us that know Christ, the Holy Spirit's inside. We're no longer a slave to sin. Praise Jesus. Why live like it? Let's not. We don't have to sin anymore. We just have to pull Christ close. He's the Holy Spirit's inside. We're never alone. For some, dare to be a Nathan. God's grace is when he sends us a Nathan to stop us in our tracks. Who in your life do you have that when you're wandering off the path has the permission, your permission to punch in the nose per se, like Nathan did? My dad has, my son does. Part of the reason I moved back to Waterloo Cedar Falls was guys like Randy and Dennis Anderson and Gary, Kurt. They've known me since I was a kid. They know my tendencies toward struggling. Put people in your life. If you don't have a Nathan, find one. No, it's not your wife. No, it's not your husband. Find someone that will speak the truth even though there's no upside for them. That loves you. That wants your best. Care enough to confront. Who's your Nathan? Have you asked them to confront you when you're in sin? Am I willing to be a Nathan for those I love? It takes courage, but also takes God's timing. 
That's where you don't just walk up to people and punch them. That's not okay either. Lord, do you have me to say something now or later? It might be a week, a month. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means, you know, a lot of the times these scenarios in the Bible, they're not just far-fetched, they actually happen in our lives too. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him with, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be temp- too be tempted. Grace and truth. Some of us are really good at grace. Some of us are really good at truth. How do we do this in gentleness and in love? And then it says, "Hey, be careful." When you're wrestling with a pig trying to get him out of the mud, you might get stuck there yourself. So be careful. Don't go it alone. Sorry, sin takes you farther than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, keeps you longer than you want to stay. David did not look off the balcony and go, you know what, I'm going to kill two people. I'm going to destroy my family, my reputation. I'm going to cause God all kinds of harm. All the Philistines are going to go, look, the king in Israel is no different than our king. He didn't think that. He just thought, you know what? This is just one sin. It's okay. And the pain that ensued. Like David, we're all sinners and deserve death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. David's not unique in this sin thing. We can't just go, shame on you, David. We're all in this. Sin is sin. And are justified by his grace, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is this grace and gift? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Like, okay, Bob, I get it. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died for each one of our sins. If we don't appropriate that payment for ourselves and he died for so many that have rejected him, that wasn't his intent. He wants all of us to say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. It's that simple. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is often used only as a salvation verse, and it's true. If we confess our sins, Lord, I'm a sinner. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It takes faith to accept God's forgiveness because we don't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. Sometimes we don't feel saved. Sometimes we don't feel like we deserve God's love. We can't do anything to deserve God's love. Praise God. If you find yourself in a sin this morning, or sins, or place and spot, confess it. And God is faithful to forgive. Praise God for that. How can he do that? Because as we celebrated at Breaking Bread this morning, his blood not covers, pays for all of my sin. Praise God for that. 
There are consequences to our sins. There's hurts, all of those things. Loss of glory to our Savior. But God forgives us. No longer can Satan walk around behind us going, nah, 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 you're a sinner. You can turn around and go, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid for it. I'm forgiven. Cut the chains of sins of the past and open the opportunity for God's forgiveness to be real in our lives. If you've never done that as in a salvation sense, as in a trusting your life to him sense, then your sins aren't forgiven. They're paid for, but you haven't accepted it yourself. It's so simple. If you confess with your mouth, that means that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confession is just agreeing with God that I'm a sinner needing Jesus my Savior. You don't have to have all the doctrines lined up. You don't have to have the thief on the cross. All he did was say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You can learn all that other stuff later. Deal with sin. I can't do anything about this. I need a Savior. That's how simple it is. Confession that Jesus died for my sin was raised again. After salvation, confession is important. We need to keep short accounts with God. When was the last time you just said, hey God, are there any sins in my life that I'm not recognizing? I don't know who along the way it challenged me to do that every night. Sometimes you're going to be up for another 15 minutes. Oh yeah, I said that and I shouldn't have. Well, that attitude wasn't gracious. Oh hey, Teresa, I'm sorry. I didn't take out the trash when I knew I should have. Keep short accounts with God. Unconfessed sin leads to more sin and can lead to tragic consequences. Living a life of leisure is not good for us either. David was in bed, not in the battle. If you find yourself with excess time, overcome evil with good. Where are there opportunities? Where are there opportunities to love those around us, love the brothers and sisters in Christ, to share the gospel? Instead of just piling it up for ourselves and pleasure, doesn't mean maybe you like pickleball. Well, pick a, bring a brother and play pickleball together. It's not like you have to drone through life. God doesn't want that, but he wants us to double dip and not just do things for ourselves, but to build relationships. We're taking our relationship with God, his word, and people out of here. That's, everything else is going to burn. You say, well, what should I do? Work in those three areas. Be in God's word. Be with people. Be with God in those times. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If there's sin in your life that you're okay with, I just encourage you to grab someone that will point you to Christ that won't say, hey, it's okay. Grab someone that will be gentle with you, that would love you, but also recognize that there is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's not be okay with sin in our lives. Unrepentant sin or sin that is just a secret sin. There's no secret sins. For us to have God's spirit to have free reign in our lives, we've got to open up every nook and cranny to him. He sees it anyway. We just think we can kind of bring pieces to him. He wants all of us. He knows we're a mess. He loves us anyway. He knows we can't do it by ourselves. 
He loves us and died for us anyway. God dem- Jesus demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's good news for the lost and for us as believers. I hope you leave today. I hope I leave today. And may our prayer be, Lord, help me not be okay with my sin. But then we don't have to focus on it. Let's focus on Christ. He is always with us and wants to bring us forgiveness and deliverance. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this record of David. And Lord, left to ourselves, all of us would do things that are wreak havoc in our lives and the lives of those around us and most importantly to your glory. And Lord, when we sin, we sin against you first and foremost. Help us in a culture that is crazed by lust and covetousness and materialism and leisure and all these things that are just really Satan's playground. Help us to be encouragers of each other. Help us to dare to be Nathans when you ask us to and help us to do so gently. Lord, thank you that your hand of forgiveness and grace is is outstanding toward us. Lord, you let David go on in his sin and you're a gentleman. You don't force yourself on us. If there be someone here this morning that has never bowed the knee and said, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. May they just in the quietness of their seat this morning Just start a walk with you. Know that your spirit comes in and and then life changes. So we just ask that you would, even this morning, open eyes and ears. For those of us that know Christ, Lord, as we go out into our week this week, help us not be okay with sin. Help us remember that you're with us always. Help us to draw near to you and overcome evil with good. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.